2 Samuel 1, or so, sorry, 2 Samuel 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Um, I want to talk this morning about, um, about this passage. It's a passage of scripture I've taught at our church before, several, several years ago. I want to relook at it, but from a different, a different kind of a different way. Um, this is something that, as you'll hear in a second in the sermon, that has, um, that really uh, I've been meditating on the last several weeks. But I'm going to read it to you. It's, uh, it's the, the story of David bringing the ark of God back into Jerusalem, or back into Israel, um, specifically into Jerusalem. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into today's teaching. First, Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all, and he had all his men set out from uh, uh, Bala of Judah to bring them, uh, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. And they set the ark on a, on a new cart and they brought it from the house of uh, Benadab, which was on a hill, Uzzah and uh, Ahio, uh, Ahio, whatever, uh, sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. And David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all of their might before the Lord with songs and with harps and lyres and trumpets and uh, sistrums and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah, reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath was broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, this place is called Perez Uzzah or break out against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household when it was there. Now David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. This is uh, God's word. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today as we are uh, rounding uh, the end of another year, for some of us, we need second chances. For some of us, like King David in this story, um, we've probably had the, the best intentions and the purest, maybe the purest of motives and um, something in our life went tragically wrong or not the way that we thought it was going to go. And we need a second chance, God. And I pray that um, as we look at this text, as we meditate upon your word, God, that you would make a way for us to have uh, a second chance going into the new year. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a story about God. 
It's a story about God on the periphery and God in the center. This is a story about what it takes to bring God from the periphery to the center. But mainly, this is a story about second chances and the lessons learned in the first chance. At this point in the story, the ark of God is not in Israel. Now, if you don't know what the ark of the Lord is, the ark of God was a simple box. It was three and a quarter by two and a quarter by one and a quarter. It was made of simple acacia wood and was painted with gold. And on top was two cherubim that faced outward with their their wings touching in in the top. And um, in the center was the very presence of God. And this ark had very specific ways it was supposed to be built by, uh, by God's instructions and carried, which is kind of like the, 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 the plot twist in this entire story. There's a way that the, that the ark was supposed to be carried. There's a way that it was supposed to, um, uh, supposed to, be, uh, supposed to look. This, this ark represented um, uh, the presence of God. What this story is about is, is about... Um, the ark of God, not in Israel. And it hasn't been in Israel the whole time uh, that King Saul was king either. And when David became king, he decided to, to bring it back to the center, to bring back and establish the place of God as front and center in the life of Israel. The story is about that, about when you have this realization that God isn't in the center, When you have this realization that God is on the periphery or God is not really in this place of prominence in the center of your marriage, when he's not in the center of your family, what do you do? When you have this realization that God is not in the center of your singleness or when he's not in the center of your dating, what do you do? When God's not in the center of your decisions or your career path or your finance or your non-work time, what do you do when God is not at the center of these things but he's off in the periphery somewhere? Well, for David, the answer is go get him. Go get the presence of God. Go get the, 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 the representation of the presence of God and bring him into the center. This is as simple as that. Sometimes it's, it's that simple. Initially, it's that simple. It's just this realization that Christ isn't the center of motivation or he's not the center of inspiration for what you do in and with your life. And the only reasonable answer is go and get him. Ash and I were on a baby moon uh, recently. Baby moons are things that uh, millennials started, I think. Um, When you just have a baby and you want to go out and like celebrate your life before this baby comes into to the world. And so this is our second baby moon and we went to our favorite place um, in California, Big Sur. And um, this, this baby moon was a recentering uh, time for us. We had this recentering conversation. How are we living into our values as a young family? Juniper is almost three years old now and um, we have... We have had, uh, when, when she was a year old, had start talking about what are the values that are going to kind of shape our life as a family. And so we had this like check-in moment. Have things gotten away from us due to the chaos and the craziness of life? Are we living into the values that we have as a family? The things that we, we want to establish as, as um, uh, keeping Christ in the center of our family? And how 
Do we recenter our lives around Christ and his purposes for our marriage and our family? And it was just a simple conversation over fire and s'mores and tea and that sort of thing. Sometimes it starts just as simple as that, is you having a conversation with yourself or with your community or with your family, is God in the center? For David, he has one of these days and he says, let's go bring back the presents. Let's go get the presence of God and bring it back into the center activity and center uh, of the life of Israel. Let's rearrange our lives and our society and our economy, our priorities, so that God is in the center of it all. The presence of God was represented by this ark. You keep, you keep hearing me say that. Let's bring the presence of God. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, God's presence is everywhere. Well, this, the ark was a, a very unique kind of thing. Uh, the Ark of the Presence or the Ark of Covenant, um, the covenant God made with Israel, that God will be with his people and lead his people into a good place. This Ark, um, this box, represented all of that. The Ark of God represented God's lordship. It represented God's nearness and it represented God's ways. It represented his lordship, his nearness, and his ways. The lordship bit was, um, it's actually kind of cool because the ark of God was called God's footstool. Now, you might not know what that is, a footstool. Um, kings had thrones and kings had footstools. They would sit on the throne and then they would have a footstool that they would rest their feet on, right? So God's throne is in heaven and his footstool was the ark on earth. Do you understand the meaning of that? So his kingdom extended from heaven and where it touched earth was this ark, that's where his feet, his, symbolically, his foot rested, his feet rested, meaning the extension of his rule was represented by this ark. It meant that the rule of God and the will of God on earth as it is in heaven started where this ark was. And so David was like, let's go get that ark and bring it back right into the center of Israel. Get it right into Jerusalem, the city of David. We want the Lord's rule, his, his kingdom, his rulership, his lordship, right in the, in the flaming center of our lives. So they had to go get it back. He had to bring back the king and his kingdom, so to speak, the rule and the will of God back to the place of prominence and priority. But the ark of God also represented the nearness of God too. The ark of God was Israel's central symbol of his sovereign and saving presence. It was how they knew God was among them, quite literally, how God was among them. It was the center to their worship and the center of all of God's activity in Israel. You can say it was a traveling monument of God's faithfulness because inside of this box, there was evidence that God was at work among them. There was a literal evidence inside of the ark. Inside of the ark, there were three things. There was the tablets of the Ten Commandments, the actual tablets of the Ten Commandments were in the ark reminding Israel that God had given them and commanded them how to live <clears throat> into their freedom. Inside the ark was also a jar of manna. It's when God provided for them in the wilderness. They had a, they had a jar of leftover manna inside this ark. And they had Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron was the, was the leader, was the priest and leader with Moses. And, and, um, and his rod that budded, showing that God was among them and God was with them, that God had saved them, was inside this ark as well. So the ark itself and the items inside it pointed to the hard historical fact that God's revealed character led Israel, um, led Israel into freedom. And it was the center of their worship. 
See, the thing Israel was guilty of over and over again, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but the thing that Israel was guilty of over and over again was forgetting. Forgetting what God had done, forgetting what it felt like to be in bondage and then to be freed, forgetting what it meant that they were God's very own people. They would just forget. They would forget what God had taught them. They forgot the feeling of God saving them. They just forget. And then they would, two weeks later, a month later, a year later, like God is not with us anymore. God doesn't care about us. But all they had to do is just look at the ark and go, this is evidence, hard historical fact that God is with us. So God and his kind of awareness of humans' propensity to forget, because we all forget. He made Israel artifacts to remember. He gave them in front of them a tangible way. The ark was the primary artifact that God is with you, that God is among them. So they had to go get it so they can always remember. And the third thing the ark was, was the ark was, it, it, it actually symbolized the ways of God because inside of the ark, were the Ten Commandments, which was the way that the free people of God were to live into their freedom. The Ten Commandments were God's given ways um, that they were to live uh, the ways of God out in society, how they would treat each other and how they would live with God as their king. And David wanted to bring that back front and center, that all their ways would ultimately be submitted to God's ways. The ark had to be retrieved, to be placed in the center of Israel's life where the ways of God would immediately shape the, the way Israel thinks and lives. So they had to go bring God back to the center. This is a story of bringing God back to the center. What is the, what, this is a story about bringing back to the center what is most important. This is a story about grabbing the things that are the most important parts of life and pulling them to the center. Because I don't know if you, I, I mean, you know, you, you realize this, I realize this, that life has a way of so shaping us and interrupting what's important that we lose sight of the ways of God or the ways that we're supposed to be living or the ways that we're called to be living or the ways that we know brings us the most kind of life. And so there's little things that might enter into our lives, habits and ways that pull us away from the most important things of life. Usually a tragedy happens in our lives and it, and it shocks us again to go, oh my gosh, it's just important to be with family. Oh, oh my gosh, it's just important to be in the presence of God. Oh my gosh, my church community is so, like whatever it is, something has to jolt us to wake us up. This is also a story of that too. Because David's heart was in the right place. The leaders of Israel's heart were in the right place. They all went up to worship. They all attempted to bring back the ark to Jerusalem. But something tragic happens. Someone dies. Actually, the story says that God kills someone. I mean, that can ruin anyone's mood in a spiritual endeavor. That just ruins the mood. What went wrong here? That's the question we should be asking. If we can put a finger on where David went wrong, maybe we can avoid some tragic mistakes when we're trying to bring God back into the center of our lives. There's a couple of hints in our text that, that let us in on like what went wrong the first time. Verse three says, they set the ark of God on a new cart, which is interesting. That's an interesting narrative clue. And verse seven says that Uzzah, one of the guys helping to guide this new cart, did an irreverent act that ended in his death. So we can boil down what went wrong 
to two things. Two things. One, what went wrong was technology and flippancy. That's what went wrong. Technology and flippancy. Technology, God has and had a very specific prescribed way for the ark to be transported. The ark was designed with mobility in mind. The ark of, of the Lord um, that, that was to dwell in the midst of his people. And every single time the people of Israel moved, the ark would move with them. And the way that the ark would move was that during this time, um, God would prescribe uh, priests that would carry the ark. They were not to be carried by oxen. They were not to be carried on a new cart. They were not to be guided by strong men. They, the ark of God wasn't even to be touched. It was to be carried by poles, by priests. But there was new technology available at, the, at this time. There's a new cart, probably new technology from the valley where the Philistines lived. This technology allowed for efficiency. It allowed for, there's no, no, no more need for priests. We actually don't need priests anymore for this endeavor. No need for reliance on people who were set apart for the work of God's service. We had new tech. We had a hack. We had a way of getting God from point A to point B, of a way of making spirituality easier, worship easier, with less messy work that priests had to do. The sacrifices and all the stuff that priests had to do. We have a new clean way. We have ox that pull this cart with wheels and we have, you know, a, a fresh new way of doing it. This is easier way. Now, uh, God didn't like this new way and um, someone died. And you might be asking, is this proof that God is anti-tech? Um, maybe, that's all I'll say. I'll just leave it out there, maybe. Um, I think Eugene Peterson got it right when he said this. Uzzah is the patron saint of those who uncritically embrace technology without any regard to the nature of the holy. It's when we say yes to technology without ever considering, does this at all, um, does this at all make God less holy in our minds? Has this all ruined the, the human connection, the physical connection that we have with God? Does this at all keep me from, from revering God and worshiping God and his holiness? Does this do that? When we try to, shortcut the slow work of God. When we try and get to our desired place in life with God by our own means. In other words, when we try to get God's will with our own ways, this can, this can be very similar to this new cart experiment. I mean, this happens when we choose the way of debt and consumerism over generosity and contentment. This happens when we choose the way of dating the person we know isn't right, but is fun and attractive because we say to ourselves, they might end up turning into the right person someday. This happens when we only ask the question, what's possible with science and technology and not the question, what's the right thing to do before God in the scriptures? The other thing that went wrong with this first approach was flippancy. The text says that Uzzah and the others were guiding the new cart. And when the oxen stumbled, Uzzah reached out to help God. Like, okay, God, you're falling, God, let me help you. Without, he did this without any regards to what this box or what was in it represented. We have only one equivalent of this story in the New Testament. And it's around another very sacred act called the Eucharist or communion. And the, the same point remains at this time, 
um, it says that in 1 Corinthians that some of you are sick and dying because you're, ta- you're receiving communion in an un- unworthy manner. You're not checking your own heart and your own soul. You're not understanding the weight of what communion is and what it represents. That this, is, this mediates the presence of God to us because Christ gave it to us to remember him by. We forget that. We flippantly just walk up and just eat bread and we just like are selfish about it. We want to run to the front and like we forget that there's heat in God's holiness. We forget. This is the, it's interesting. It's the only equivalent we have in the New Testament. Several weeks ago, I was driving uh, the family, my family home to San Francisco from Bakersfield, my hometown. Uh, I, I was there because my mom was sick at that time and um, we were there for like a week and um, I was really anxious to get home. I wanted to be there. I want to get home. I wanted to resettle and then want to come back to see her again. But we had to do some check-in at home. And so we woke up the last day that we were staying in our Airbnb <clears throat> We packed up the car really fast. We got everyone in. I rushed out the door. We got on the road without any prayer, without any regard for God or a need for his protection. The honest thought I had in the back of my mind when we piled into our Volvo was our Volvo will protect us. It's the safest car on the road. Whatever we might encounter on the road on the I-5, our Volvo will protect us. So I put my foot on the gas and we were gone. I put on a podcast and I was just driving, just like we're getting there. And to be honest, um, driving a little too fast. And about an, outside, an hour outside of Bakersfield, um, this debris from the other side of the road flies over and hits the front of our car and rips off the front of our car. If it would have been like maybe two feet higher, I don't know if we would have been here. I mean, it just hit it and then just kind of ripped off. We just, just got our car back after like over a month and over $10,000 worth of damage. And we had to pull over to the side of this truck stop and leave our car there to be towed the next day. And my dad had to drive and pick us up and take us back and we, to Bakersfield. And we rented a car and we started our trek home to Bakersfield all over again the next day with our rental car. So I did it all over again. The next day, I loaded the family into the car, but I did things completely differently this time. I did it with a lot more gratitude, a lot more sense of the holiness of everything and sacredness of everything is in my car. My, my um, pregnant wife and my daughter. And um, we prayed, which we always do before road trip. We pray. We did that again because I didn't do it the first time. I prayed and I was aware of the cargo inside the car And I drove with a a lot more awareness, uh, a lot more um, awareness of God's presence. And I thought of this story of King David the entire way home. David got a second chance. I got a second chance. I got a second chance to get my family back home to Bakersfield. I'm really grateful for that second chance. And David too gets a second chance in this story. See, it was never God's intent to destroy or kill. God's intent was not to like, I, I can't wait to kill anyone who touches this, this ark. Actually, that's, we don't see that in the story. We actually see the opposite. God's default was to bless. As soon as the ark went to the house of Obed-Edom, God started blessing the house of Obed-Edom. But sometimes, sometimes it's God's goodness that allows, he, that in his goodness, he allows some destruction. In our lives, a wake-up call to the holiness of God, of this life that we all live, to put some sobriety into our bones, 
That's what happened to David. He realized not only is God blessing the house of Obed-Edom, but God's holiness, God's holiness demands that we go slower, that we reinstitute the priests, that we, we take just a few steps and we stop and we sacrifice and we worship and we take a few more steps and we stop and we sacrifice and worship and it takes a lot more time and a lot more effort to get the presence of God back in Jerusalem, but they do it this time. David had to return to the basics. This is a story about second chances. It's really a story of recentering yourself and about getting a second chance to put God back in the center. David returned to the first, first, first things, to worship, to sacrifice, and to obedience. He slowed down. He ditched technology of carts and cows and went back to the prescribed priests using their hands and their hearts to move the ark. When we, when we, have, to, we have to keep in mind that technology and environment and systems and efficiency only go so far. There's no substitute for the fear and the awareness of God. There's no substitute for obedience. So this is a story about God on the periphery and God in the center. And I want you to think about that as we close. In what ways is God on the outside over there? In your relationships or in your marriage or your parenting or your singleness and your career, what ways is God not in the center of those things? Remember, God's presence brings blessing. In what ways is God over here and God, you have to do the work of like moving God to the center of these things in your life? This story is also about what it takes to bring God from the periphery to the center how it takes intentionality. It takes for you in your wherever stage in life you are right now. And I, and I talk with a lot of you in different stages of life. Wherever you're at, it takes intentionality. It takes, I'm gonna move God in the center of my parenting like this. I'm gonna move God in the center of my career like this. I'm gonna move God into the center of my whatever like this. It takes intentionality and it also takes a plan. It takes a plan of holy awareness that, that, that God actually wants to be the, in the center of your, of your career. And the way that you go about your career and the way that you act and react in your career, God wants to be in the very center of that. And it's this holy awareness that, that God is and he, he, he can be at the center of that. But this is mainly a story about second chances. And here's where I want to end. If you're alive here today, you have another chance. God has given me so many second chances. There's a lot of things in my life that I botched and I got a second chance to do it over again in a different way. I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. You might be here and you botched 2021. You botched your spiritual goals. You botched like, this is the things that I wanted to become and be and you just botched it. Well, there's 2022. If you tried and failed to bring God in the center, We'll reassess and do it over again. But do it this time with reverence and worship and holy steps and sacrifice. Maybe you need to redo that Bible study that you said, I was going to do that Bible study last year and you got like a quarter way through it and then life just happened. Go do that over again. Open your, open your year with devotionals. Like 
I wanted to spend X amount of time every morning in devotional prayer and reading uh, the scriptures. Go back to that. Bread. I was doing bread. I was doing our, our, our daily Bible reading until like June. And then I went on vacation and then I never came back and did it again. Well, it's, it's happening again. 2022. Start it over. Maybe fasting. You were fasting and there was this connection that you were having with denying your flesh and connection with God. But then, you know, you had lunch meetings and the holidays happen and get back to it. Rekindle that prayer partner that you said you and this other person were going to pray through 2021 and just never really happened. You guys did a few, but never rekindle that. Start that again. Start praying with your family. Maybe when you were doing uh, Village at Home, you remember that when we were handing out packets and you guys were doing um, uh, these studies at home. Maybe there, there was something there. You're like, I love that. I have to, I'm, I'm responsible for teaching my family the scriptures. And, you know, when we've kind of reemerged to, to here, you're like, oh, that's the job of the church to pastor my kids. That's not true. It's, it's yours. It's your family's job. Rekindle that again. How do I live in this way? I guess what I'm saying is that as we end 2021, there's all kinds of ways that we might look back and go, we want God in the center. And we might have tried to get him in the center and we might have failed. And there are second chances. The the, 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 the rich and deep importance of God being at the center of our lives and the, chan- and the fact that what we try to do this and sometimes it doesn't work is a part of life. And yet we have another chance. Let's pray. Lord, I, I want to just intercede and pray for the congregation right now, your church. And I, I pray, Lord, as whatever's coming up um, to them right now, uh, they might... Maybe there's just not even a thought in their mind that, I, oh, I forgot I wanted to do that in last year or I wanted to do that at the beginning of the year or in the middle of the year. I wanted to become that kind of person. I wanted to have that discipline in my life and it's just gone away. I pray that you return them back to the first things. You return them and bring them back to you from the periphery to the center of their lives. And I pray for those that have failed this last year, failed in relationships, failed in their finances, filled in their devotion, filled in their witness. Lord, you'd give them another chance that we would all reassess and just make a holy and slow plan of bringing you back in the center of our entire lives. And from there, Lord, would you, would you rule us with your sovereign power and your kingdom come? Would you be near us, Lord, as you have promised by the power of your spirit And Lord, I pray that we would walk in your ways as you take the center place of our lives, that we would humbly and obediently walk in your ways. I pray this all in Jesus' name.